Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, 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 give me a quarter, I'll smear your windshield. Bob? Bob, is that you? How you doing, man? Uh, nice squeegee, dude. Oh, what, you? Hey, hey, you leave me alone! Dude, I've been, I've been looking for you. Everybody has. The band is getting back together. Go away! But there's this big nostalgia thing going on. Promoters are paying big bucks for old bands like us to go on tour again. Uh, how big? Huge, man. We could even make a new album if we want. Uncle, no one want to hear it, of course. They'll just want to hear all the old stuff. But at the end of it all, there's a lot of money for everybody. All we've got to do is pretend we like each other again. For about six months. Uh, but, but I pawned off my guitar. I, I, I developed this uh, little crystal meth problem after you stole my girlfriend on the last reunion tour. Yeah, but your girlfriend was actually my wife at the time. Uh, did I ever apologize for that? No. Uh, sorry then. Yeah, that's okay. She was also sleeping with Fred at the time. Fred? I'll kill him! Oh, dude, he stroked out and died during the last reunion tour. Don't you remember? He wouldn't come out for that encore. That's when you called him a punk, stormed off the stage, and we never saw you again. Uh, what about Simon? Uh, Simon died before the tour. We got that fry cook from Burger King to take his place. So, it's just you and me? Yeah. What'd he say? Once more, for old time's sake? Uh, okay. Uh, but my squeegee gets its own tour bus! This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hi again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is part two of a series on reunions. We do this every couple of years to get caught up on who's back together and why. And I think that's the best part of these stories, the reasons and motivations for reassembling something that somehow got broke and fell apart. So let's go over the rules again. Number one, I've done my best to be as accurate as possible, but sometimes it's rather difficult to nail down the exact date when a band decided to break up and the exact moment when they decided to reform. So we need a little bit of leeway. We have to estimate sometimes. Number two, we're not concerned with serial reformers, bands that have come and gone multiple times. We want clean breaks and definite reunions. And rule number three is that we started with the shortest intervals between breakup and reunion, and we're working towards the longest. Got all that? Okay, because right off the top, we're kind of going to break rule number two with the verve, because there were times when they ceased to exist before the big break. There was a time from September 1995 to sometime in 1996 where it looked like they were done, but they weren't. So we can look at that period as a, a hiatus, not a breakup. The proper breakup of the Verve came on April the 28th of 1999. That's when the official announcement was made, so that's the date that we're going to use for this. In all honesty, though, the Verve really hadn't existed since August 29th, 1998, when they played a final show together in Ireland. And when I say together, I mean most of the band. On June 7th of 1998, after a show in Dusseldorf, Germany, singer Richard Ashcroft, a pugnacious kind of guy, went at it with guitarist Nick McCabe, who is a more sensitive soul. Richard's face took a pounding, and Nick ended up with a broken hand. And with that, Nick decided he was done. He was replaced by a session guitarist named B.J. Cole, and that got the band through the rest of their live commitments. But by the time they got to Ireland, they were, they were done. And after the press release the following April, that was definitely that. For the next eight years... Everyone was adamant that the Verve would not reunite. But time tends to mellow people out. Nick McCabe started working with drummer Pete Salisbury in some project. Ashcroft heard about this and thought, well, you know, maybe it's time. 
Meanwhile, bass player Simon Jones wasn't doing much, and guitarist Simon Tong was available, but he was deliberately kept out. So, okay, maybe there was more mellowing required. In any event, a reunion announcement came on June 26th of 2007. A single was recorded, and an album called Fourth was released. There were festivals and tours and remixes and then... Well, just hang on. Let's hear some of the reunion music first, and then we'll get back to everything that happened later. This is the comeback single. It's The Verve and Love is Noise. The Verve and Love is Noise first released August 10th, 2008, 14 months after the band first announced that they were getting back together. The Verve had been apart for eight years, one month, and 30 days. The reunion was triumphant, especially when it came to the gigs. It was awesome till it wasn't. The best I can figure, it was August 10th, 2008 that the Verve ceased to be. Why? Well, because Nick McCabe and Simon Jones allegedly believed that Richard Ashcroft was using this reunion just to get his solo career happening again. Big fight, and they broke up again. The Verve is now officially a serial breaker-upper. They are banned from our future programs on reunions. Next, we move to Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, the band with the most pompous name in the history of music, which was completely by design, by the way. They had a very solid run from the very beginnings of the Technopop era in 1978 to the final dissolution in October of 1996. The kids were all about Britpop, and a synthesizer band from the 80s just didn't cut it anymore, so the group gracefully retired. And it stayed that way until January 1st of 2006. The original lineup had received some serious offers to perform their 1981 album Architectures and Morality in full on a tour. Too good to resist. Lots of cash. What would you do? OMD had been apart for nine years, three months, and one day. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark with Joan of Arc, a single from their 1981 album Architectures and Morality. It was the offer to perform that classic techno-pop album in its entirety, in concert, on tour, that brought them back together. And they've kept it together since then, too. Our next breakup and reunion was another graceful affair. Crowded House grew out of Split Ends, one of the most successful New Zealand bands of all time. Moving to Australia, singer Neil Finn led the band through a series of best-selling albums between 1985 and 1996. They found fans around the world. Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam just loved these guys. And then, sensing that a good thing was done, Crowded House decided to call it quits. And they did it in grand style. Here's what happened. The Sydney Children's Hospital had run into a cash crunch. So, on November the 24th of 1996, Crowded House did their part by performing a giant farewell gig on the steps of the famous Sydney Opera House. Money raised, crisis contained, everyone went their separate ways for about 10 years. But then something happened to draw everybody back together again. Former drummer Paul Hester, who had become something of a TV star in Australia. In fact, you know, if you have kids and they're into the Wiggles, Paul the Cook was played by Paul Hester. 
But all was not well with Paul. By early 2005, he had run into some personal problems and fell into a deep depression. Paul hanged himself on March 26th of 2005. The funeral, coupled with the 10-year anniversary of the Sydney Opera House performance, the DVD was coming out, you see, a reconnection began. And on January 22nd of 2007, Crowded House made the official announcement that after 10 years, one month, and 28 days, they were back together. Crowded House and Don't Dream It's Over. The band is still together after spending over 10 years apart. One of the biggest reunion stories of 2009 was the reconstitution of Faith No More. When they were around in the 1990s, I'm not sure they got the respect that they deserved. It was only in hindsight that people began to recognize exactly how influential and how important Faith No More really was. They were one of the very first rock bands to realize that heavy guitars could be mixed with rap-style vocals. And they made a pretty good run of it, lasting from 1981 to exactly April 19, 1998. So why did they fall apart? No specific reason. Maybe it was just time. Or maybe it was because singer Mike Patton had grown bored and had a bunch of other ideas that he wanted to explore. Whatever the case, the official announcement went like this. After 15 long and fruitful years, Faith No More have decided to put an end to speculation regarding their imminent breakup by breaking up. The decision among the members is mutual, and there will be no pointing of fingers, no naming of names other than stating for the record that Puffy started it. Furthermore, the split will now enable each member to pursue his individual projects unhindered. Lastly, and most importantly, the band would like to thank all those fans and associates that have stuck with them and supported the band through its history. That's from a fax and email sent out by bass player Billy Gould on April 19, 1998. A lot of stuff happened after that. There were post-Faith No More bands like Imperial Teen and Mr. Bungle. There were guest appearances and production credits and records by other people. Uh, record labels were formed. Drummer Mike Bowden went off to work with Ozzy Osbourne for a while. And during this entire period where everybody was doing their own thing, everybody denied that they were even thinking about a reunion. But all that changed for some reason. And on February 24th of 2009... Ten years, nine months, and 28 days after Billy Gould sent out that fax, Faith No More announced that they were, yes, getting back together. But it was without guitarist Jim Martin. Don't know why. By the way, Jim is now a professional pumpkin grower. He's the kind of guy that tries to grow 1,300-pound pumpkins. That's one of the things he does. Why did they try to decide to do this again? I'm going to guess that it was the universal reason. Money. Lots and lots of money. And, hey, you know, there's no pension plan in rock, right? A summer tour of Europe was amazingly successful, and in the interim, a new generation got into this song. Faith No More with Epic. The album was The Real Thing, so we've covered bands that have been apart for at least a decade before the reunion. That's a long time to be apart, but we can find groups who have gone longer, much longer, back in a sec. This is part two of a program on long breakups and big reunions, and so far we've documented bands who were apart for at least 10 years before letting bygones be bygones. The Pixies had a bad breakup. Tensions built all through the early 90s. 
there were a lot of creative differences. There were power struggles. Plus, the band was on this endless cycle of recording and touring and recording and touring. They just didn't seem to be getting ahead. Everything reached a crescendo during the band's stint warming up for U2 during the Octung Baby Tour in 1992. Part of the problem was that bass player Kim Deal was going out with a guy named Jim Greer. Jim was a writer for Spin Magazine. He followed the Pixies on this tour, and he documented some of the Pixies' experiences with U2, their management, and their road crew. That didn't go over very well. It just ramped up the tensions even higher. It also didn't help that the Pixies and U2 were a bad fit. Although U2 had all the respect in the world for the band, the audiences didn't, so the Pixies ended up playing to arenas and stadiums that were less than a quarter full. By the time everything ended in Vancouver on April 25, 1992, the band was fried. A meeting was held, and it was decided that the group would take one year off. Fine. But then on January 15, 1993, singer Black Francis decided that he wanted out for good. So how did he do it? Well, he sent a fax to the management company saying that he was out and that the band is officially breaking up. You can imagine how well that went over with everybody else. If it matters, he feels really badly about having done that. Everybody scattered. Black Francis renamed himself Frank Black and released a string of solo albums. Kim Deal remade The Breeders, her pixie side project, into a full-time thing with her sister Kelly. Uh, but then Kelly got busted when she accepted a FedEx package full of heroin, and that took a couple of years to sort out. Drummer David Lovering became, wait for it, a magician. He called himself the scientific phenomenalist. He had studied engineering and took that knowledge and turned it into magic. That was fun, but it didn't pay a lot of bills. He ended up in a financial mess. Then there was guitarist Joey Santiago. He stayed with music. He turned into a composer for TV and film. For example, he wrote a couple of songs for the series Weeds. So why the reunion? Well, it was another case of time healing wounds. And besides, no one separately was making much money. And while they were apart, the Pixies had become more famous than they ever had been when they were together. When you have bands like the Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana talking you up, it, it kind of helps build that myth and legend, right? This myth and legend grew so big that offers for a reunion tour came with big dollars attached. And in the end, everybody just said, okay, I'm caving. Let's do the shows. Give me my money. I mean, wouldn't you? On April 13th, 2004, the Pixies played together for the first time since that U2 show in Vancouver in 1992. The gig was at a club in Minneapolis, and if you measure the time between Black Francis pushing send on the fax machine on January 15th, 1993, and the lights going down on that stage that night in Minneapolis, you have a gap of 11 years, 2 months, and 30 days. Those are the Pixies, live at the Fine Line Music Cafe in Minneapolis on April 13th, 2004. That was the first show on their reunion tour. My Bloody Valentine is a weird case. They never really formally broke up. Leader Kevin Shields just got distracted. After releasing the Loveless album in 1991, that groundbreaking noise pop album that was the epitome of the shoegazer sound and everything that descended from it, not a lot happened. First, it cost so much to make that record that it practically bankrupted their label. Then the band was signed to Island Records, who gave them an advance of half a million dollars, all of which was thrown down a rat hole constructing a new studio. 
The studio got built, but it was awful, all kinds of technical problems. And by the end of 1993, the band had just sort of evaporated. Oh, there were a couple of recordings here and there. There were rumors and false starts and announcements, but ultimately there was nothing. And when bass player Debbie Googe was seen driving a cab in London, you knew things were bad. Turns out that My Bloody Valentine really hadn't existed since the summer of 1993. So the best that we can possibly do for an exact date of this evaporation is July 1st, 1993. Eventually, though, there was that reunion. The rumors started in the summer of 2007, but confirmation didn't come until November 15th of that year. That's when three gigs were announced for the following summer. See, my bloody Valentine never hurries. So, if we take that announcement as confirmation of a reunion, and they did play those shows, by the way, the band had been apart for 14 years, four months, and 14 days. Still no new album, so let's go back to the last one from... 1991. My Bloody Valentine from their most recent album, Loveless, which came out on November 4th, 1991. In a moment, we're going to break the 15-year barrier, a decade and a half between the explosion of an original lineup and its reassembly. Stay close. We have time for one more breakup and reunion story for this show, and it's the first of two involving Johnny Lydon, Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols. But this is not the Sex Pistols story. Johnny's post-Pistols band was called Public Image Limited. He was looking for a more experimental way of dealing with rock. He got deep into reggae and dub. He listened to a lot of German rock from the 70s. He hung out with some funk musicians and eventually pulled together a band that ended up having a profound effect on several genres of music, including industrial and punk funk. Nine Inch Nails, Massive Attack, Manic Street Preachers, Ministry, Primal Scream, they all acknowledge the importance of Public Image Limited. In fact, and this is not widely known, One of the people Johnny auditioned for the band in 1984 was a young bass player from Los Angeles named Michael Balzeri. He actually got the gig, but he decided he'd rather stick with his new band that he was forming with his friend Anthony. Michael Balzeri became known as Flea, and that band he formed with his friend Anthony was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anyway, Pill, as they became known, stuck together in a stormy existence from Christmas Day, 1978, until September the 18th of 1992. That was the date of their last gig. It became their last show when their label, Virgin Records, refused to pay for any more tour support, so that was it. Everyone went their separate ways. Johnny ended up back with the Sex Pistols, more on that later, and participated in a variety of other musical projects. In the summer of 2009, for whatever reason, he decided that it was time to resurrect public image. Why? Well, because Pill's Metal Box album, a very influential record in many circles, was being re-released in a 30th anniversary edition. The actual announcement came out on September the 7th of 2009. That was one reason. Another was a little more emotional. Johnny had lost his father to cancer in 2008, and he also found out that his brother's cancer, which had been in remission, was back. This reminded him of the Pill days when his mother died. In fact, the band had a song called Death Disco, that was inspired by the death of Johnny's mom. Maybe there was some unfinished business morbidly lurking in there somewhere. The time between that last show and the reunion was 16 years, 11 months, and 20 days. 
And I guess we should play something from Metal Box, shouldn't we? This is called Memories. Memories from Public Image Limited, a band that's back together, uh, sort of back together, well, in spirit anyway. Johnny Lydon is out front, but uh, everybody else is different. But it's all that counts is Johnny's band. They were apart for almost exactly 17 years. You may have noticed a commonality in a lot of the reunion stories on this show, and that's money. There is a lot of money to be made in nostalgia. If you can keep everyone together long enough, and if you can keep everyone from killing each other, a reunion is an excellent way to top up the retirement fund very, very quickly. And the longer you've been apart, the better that retirement might be. On our third and final reunion show, we'll look at groups who have been apart for a minimum of 17 years. And we're going to finish up with the group that stayed apart the longest before succumbing to all the pressures and pleasures. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.